Welcome to the Intelligence Download, a podcast from BAE Systems. My name is Sital Shah. I've worked in insurance uh, fraud for about six years with BAE Systems on and off. And uh, today we're going to be taking a look back at some of the key trends in insurance. I'm joined today by Kate Wright, who's recently joined BAE Systems as the Global Insurance Product Manager. Thanks, Kate, for your time. Hi, hello. Um, before we kind of begin and start picking your brains and, and having a look at what's happened in, in the past for the last year, can you give a sort of brief overview of your experience in insurance fraud? Because I know you know we've 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 definitely picked a star in, in bringing you into BA Systems, so um, <laughs> <laughs> it'd be just good to kind of get an idea of what you've done up till now. Yes, yeah, so uh, I've spent the majority of my career now in insurance fraud for my sins. Um, started working for large insurers as large property vo- loss investigator. Um, built my career up from the claim side of things. Uh, eventually I ended up moving into the broker space to implement a fraud solution for a large broker and build their fraud team which gradually moved me over to the application fraud side of things which was incredibly interesting at the time it was about uh, six or seven years ago where there was a lot of focus on application fraud and ghost broken was just becoming Mm. very prominent so uh, exciting time for me there and then I had I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to go into the first ever fraud role for an aggregator in the UK for a large price comparison site Um, so I had the challenge there of going in and implementing the fraud solution there um, which was a very very new model in the industry and aggregators hadn't previously considered fraud so again I got the opportunity to be part of quite an exciting time in the industry. Yeah, so quite lead, leading edge for, for insurance with aggregators, ghost broking, all of those things that are... Yeah, st- still leading, still, still yeah. going, <laughs> still I think. Going. Yeah, the yes, challenges are still absolutely. there, but um, I, was, I was excited to be part of the, the initial steps, should right. we say. Brilliant, good, good stuff. So um, having a look at this, this podcast, and, and you know, 2018 has been a busy year, as, as it has been for the last few years and, and so forth. Um, what would you see are the sort of key things that you've seen, uh, observations from the market that, that you will, you'd like to kind of pull out from 2018? Yeah, it's interesting. From a, from a, a tech perspective, um, I guess firstly starting to say I don't think insurance has ever had a quiet year. <laughs> um, I think insurance fraud has been challenging for many, many, many years. We're, we're a lot better at measuring it now, which makes it feel a lot bigger than it potentially did previously. Mm. Um, I think from a tech perspective, one of the biggest changes that we've seen is InsureTech is huge in our industry. InsureTech improves efficiencies, it improves how effective we are, and not just in counter-fraud, across Mm. various elements of the customer journey in insurance. Um, So the use of InsureTech has increased drastically over the last year Mm. in particular um, to streamline customer journeys, to automate the insurance application journeys. Mm. Um, It's huge, and what InsureTech does is whilst it pretty well and very effectively will have an impact on improving the customer journey Mm -hmm. and the customer life cycle it then creates another set of challenges with regards to counter fraud the industry has historically been set up 
to look at counter-fraud from um, ethanol calls, mm -hmm. so first notification of lost calls coming in to notify. When you change that to an online presence, it changes the challenge from a counter-fraud perspective. Mm -hmm. So what InsureTech does from that perspective is it drives new InsureTech. Right, so and new you, behaviors from the customers Yeah, as well, absolutely. Right? So you implement an InsureTech and the fraudsters, the first thing they do, they take a step back and they look for ways around it. Mm -hmm. They look for the loopholes, they look for the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. So your fraud team have to take another step back and go, okay, so how do we address these new problems that have been created by the new process that we've put in? Sure. That and you've seen that time and time again. Fraud, fraudsters are the first ones to take advantage of any new technology. Yeah, they're, right? they're very so good like that. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're yeah, they've fast. honed their skills yeah. on that. Yeah. Um, and so we find ourselves in a position again where we're looking for InsureTech to bolt onto our InsureTech to help identify and to address the risks that are created in these new processes. Mm. Um, so there has been a huge surge of counter-fraud in tech in the market. Um, there's a lot of companies out there who are willing to take on the challenge mm. of addressing the problems that are created by these new automated pro and online processes. Um, so it's been a huge change in the market. Um, if you read about tech and innovation in the insurance market, it, it's huge. Mm. I was recently at the Tech and Innovation Awards for the UK, um, and there's a huge amount of companies coming through on a regular basis. Yeah. It's a really exciting time with a lot of opportunity for customers and insurers. Mm. No, thank you. And, you know, it's, it, I think it's just going to continue. I think, so. <laughs> I think We're so. not going to get away from that no. now because it's, it's kind of gone in that direction. Um, in terms of fraud, you've, you've kind of mentioned it throughout the, the, the talk about insurtechs and so forth. It continues to evolve and, and there's trends that we're seeing that are coming and going and new ones that are coming along. What would you say are the sort of major impacts insurers are, are kind of facing more recently? So the, the biggest impact to the industry as a whole is the, the speed of the industry. Mm. Um, the pace that we are expected to sell insurance, the pace at which we're expected to deal with claims is increasing on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, insurers are looked at by consumers as retailers. Mm. In, in the same way they would buy something from Amazon, they now expect to buy their insurance. Uh, right. Gone are the days where you put two hours to one side to sit on the phone and phone your insurance company to well, renew no, your policy. Nobody loves doing that, no, do they? So, or, yeah. or to buy a policy, yeah. those days are gone. They, they expect a really, really quick turnaround. Um, the introduction over the last 10 years and the growth of aggregators, mm -hmm. online comparison sites, um, has put a huge amount of pressure on the industry, specifically from a counter-fraud perspective. Um, when we go back to technology, this technology now has pressure to respond as quickly as we are expected to provide a price to the customer. Yeah. And that can be in under five seconds. Oh a response can need to be provided to make sure that you have the opportunity to price to a genuine customer, but you also want to make sure that you can identify the, the high-risk customers mm. and make a decision on them incredibly quickly. Mm. So speed from, from a trend perspective and the challenges that the industry are facing is a huge factor. So when we talk about speed at that level, um, and at the end of the day, you still have your 14 days to get out of a policy if you needed to. Mm -hmm. How, how do you think that, that that sort of making that instant decision is having an impact on that? Do you think we're seeing perhaps more people kind of getting a policy and then dropping out sooner in, in the process, do you think? Or, or have you not seen that in your sort of experience? Yeah, um, from, from a counter-fraud perspective, um, I, guess, I guess it's more of an AML problem with people taking policies and then expecting refunds off the back of it within right. the 14 days. Um, the 14 days is very much customer centric. Mm. It's there for the customers to ensure that they're taking a financial service that suits their needs. Right. Um, from a counter fraud perspective, the, the challenge becomes in 
If you're working in a post-sale environment and your scores and your risk factors are being displayed to you after you've sold a policy, the challenge then comes into how quickly you can get the high-risk customers or the fraudulent customers off the book right. and off policy mm. um, and ensuring that you can do that fast enough that you don't impact the genuine customers. Mm. Um, because customers can have that 14-day cooling-off period, if you annoy that customer with incredibly heavy-handed fraud verification yeah. and you're asking them for all sorts of documents they're going to get annoyed right. they'll go back on that price comparison site and they'll buy the next policy that's pretty much the same yeah. at maybe a pound more just so they don't have to go through the process so it what your question does is really highlights the challenge that we've got between a good streamlined customer journey for our genuine customers and then really impacting the fraud fraudulent customers as early on as possible mm. it's it's a really challenging challenging process one other thing I'd like to pick up on, and it's been in, in the news heavily recently, and you mentioned it as, as one of your 2018 challenges that you've seen in the market, is ghost broking. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it's a topic that we've been talking about in the UK for a number of years. And why is it that it still exists? I mean, you know, what's, what, has the market, <laughs> is, is, you know, is, is nothing being happening? Are they just getting more clever at doing that? Are we seeing that migrating to other countries now? I think the same with anything and the same with any crime. As long as it's profitable for the criminal, it will always be there. Right. Um, it, it's a great opportunity for fraudsters and it's relatively easy yeah. and to a criminal it's relatively low risk um, so that the opportunity is there online purchasing adds a another degree of separation mm. um, if we were all buying our policies face to face to brokers like we did in the 80s yeah. there wouldn't be ghost brokers they're not going to walk into a high street broker store and take out a fraudulent policy on behalf of someone else mm. I think uh, if, if a male broker in went broker went ghost broker went in and said um, I'd like to buy a policy for Mrs. Smith there'd be some questions <laughs> raised <laughs> Fair um, so the online journey adds that degree of separation which also adds a degree of confidence to the fraud of a why not try um, what You've are the consequences if I do it absolutely right. and we also have the challenge of there's incredibly high premiums for certain elements of the market um, specifically young drivers mm. so young drivers are faced with a challenge of um, trying to get a policy that they can afford yeah. and so with some young people it's the difference between being able to drive to work and not being able to drive to work mm. being afford to run a car and not affording to run a car um, so when you've got the driver of the customer wanting a reduced premium there is always an opportunity for a ghost broker to find someone who's willing to take the risk just to get that premium down mm. um, it's worth highlighting that in our industry in the UK um, the insurance fraud enforcement department are doing a lot of work not just to stop ghost broking and to prosecute them but to try and educate the public about what ghost broking is why you shouldn't do it if mm. someone comes up to you at the pub um, and says that uh, they can get you a premium 500 pounds cheaper yeah. to be wary of that because the chances are you you don't have a genuine policy that's going to cover you if anything happens yeah it's always that too good to be true thing isn't it and it's yeah. it's it's targeting specific parts of the communities as yes. well that are more vulnerable to, to wanting to, to get a bit, you know, good deal. Absolutely, and I, I think one of one of the greatest challenges of Ghost Broken and really impacting it is um, having the chance to speak to the victims. Mm. Quite often, victims aren't don't want to come forwards. Either they're embarrassed 
that they've, they've done something they maybe shouldn't have and they were naive and they weren't aware or they were complicit. Mm. And they knew it was wrong. They knew they shouldn't have done it, but they still went ahead and did it anyway. So trying to get that inside knowledge from people who have used ghost brokers, which is key to prosecutions, Mm. is is incredibly hard. And I know it's a challenge of the um, insurance enforcement. Okay. So a a completely different topic now, and, and it's one that you can't move anywhere in the market without hearing, and that's the term machine learning. Right, so what, what are your sort of views on machine learning? How do you think it can help insurers, specifically with the challenge of insurance fraud? Yeah, so machine learning's a, it's an interesting one. It's it's not a new term by any means. Mm. We just we talk about it more now. Yeah, um, it's been it's been implemented in the industry for some time in, in various ways. Um, what I think has changed drastically when we talk about machine learning is the confidence the industry has in it. Um, there was always a lot of talk around how machine learning was utilized. Ideally, machine learning is something that helps us automate a process. Mm. It's something that we can rely on. It's something that gives us additional insights that we don't necessarily have. Mm. Um, whilst we've been trying to get that insight for some time now, there's definitely been a concern about how, how much we're happy to rely on it. Mm. Are we happy to let machine learning block our customers and not sell to them? Are we happy for them to make that for it to make that decision on our behalf? Mm. And I think there's been a huge shift, specifically in 2018, into people really relying on this. Mm. Um, people are a lot more confident in the modeling, a lot more confident with the results, a lot more confident with with the false positives that you maybe get as a result of that. Do you think we've gone through the trial and error and now we're kind of more on the I think we're coming out the other end. I I think we're getting into a really exciting time where the confidence is there to really start utilizing it as best we can, Mm -hmm. applying it into multiple areas of the customer journey from application through to automated claims. Um, There's companies like Lemonade who are using it to make clear decisions mm. on what they do with well, their, their claims their in a marketing very campaign. I mean, that, you know, yeah. that, that fits to my sweet spot in marketing, yeah. but in a very, very short clever. period of time. And that, that puts a huge reliance on machine learning. So it definitely demonstrates an increased confidence because it, it's been around in the market for a long time, mm. but it's not been utilized in the way it has been this so, year. So you mentioned speed to market and all the rest of it. Obviously, that is probably fueling a lot of this machine learning adoption as well, because the whole point is that you know, you can process a, a lot more than you physically could with your own human brain, right, right as well. So. Yeah, and if, if, if we want to keep up and be a retailer in the market and the insurers want to ensure that they're keeping their customers happy, mm. um, then we need to move quickly. We, we need to sell policies quickly and straight away. That means that we need insure tech, such as machine learning, mm. um, to, to address the customer journey and identify the risks as quickly as possible. Like we said, it's it's not something that p- can be done manually. When you've got uh, millions of quotes going through a day yeah. through a price comparison site, there's nobody who can sit down and go through a million quotes overnight <laughs> yeah. and hope you can find something ready for the next morning. We have to rely on technology and machine learning is, a, is an, an obvious one. Right, okay. Um, changing tax again a little bit more now. Um, one of the things that you've been talking about this year, and I, I read an article most recently that you were quoted in this part of uh, No Office Walls, was around data sharing and, and what insurers are doing. You know, ha- Is the market at a point where they're doing enough? Is there still a lot more that they could do? What sort of, what sort of things would you kind of s- 
kind of pick on that they, they need to kind of do it a little bit more yeah. around. D- data sharing is an interesting one. Um, it, it could be, it, it's a great tool in our armory. Um, if we can come together as an industry and share data all together and create a united front against fraud, mm. it's certainly an incredible deterrent and a brilliant way to detect the fraudsters. Um, but there's, there's multiple challenges around data sharing, um, one of which being that there's not one data sharing model well mm. in the uk and in in globally in countries as i understand is it, it's very rare to have one data sharing model in an industry that everybody contributes to mm. which means you have multiple data sharing models um, and within our market insurance fraud is an investment um, it, it's not heavily regulated which means it's something that goes um it needs a return on investment. Mm. If you're going to spend money and resource on sharing into a data set, you want to know that what you're getting out of that data set is valuable enough that you can determine a, a key return on investment, mm. that you can make sure that the value you're putting in, you're getting out of the solution, um, which opens the market up. That's why we've got so many data sharing initiatives, because there's profit in it, right. um, which sets a challenge up of which data source do you go with? Where do you share? Where do you put your data? Where do you take your data from? Um, Generally within markets, the the data sharing initiatives that are most successful are the ones that have the majority of the market. Um, That's where your value is. The more people putting data in, the more you're getting out, the more valuable it is for you. Um, So there's a lot of challenges there around it being a profit model and having to have a return on investment in data sharing, it, it's not necessarily a, a not-for-profit solution. Okay, what, so, you know, we, we've talked about some of the key things that have taken place over the, the you know, last year or so. Anything else that you've seen that you think have impacted insurers that are going to be short-term and, and you know, little bubbles that have happened this year, which may not carry on into to the future, or, or things that are, you think, oh God, you know, we're really gonna have to take uh, an industry view on these things? Yeah, that's a... Uh, that's a beefy question. Yeah, that's that's a big question. Give me a minute on that one, and I'll uh, I'll have a think about it. Yeah, I guess blips in the market is a is a really interesting question. Obviously, there was a lot of thought going behind GDPR mm. this year when it came out in May. Um, a lot of people sitting down in the counter fraud space going. What can we do? Yeah. What can't we it's do? Stop our ability to absolutely. Yeah. What What's the impact in the market? I think the general consensus is it still allows us to do our job. Um, we still have the same sort of flexibility in what we do with our data to mm. continue to do the counter fraud solutions that we do. I don't think that's hindered us right. as a, as an industry in any way, uh, which was interesting because that wasn't necessarily the thought process mm. that was going around um, last year, yeah. for example. Um, I went to a conference and they were talking about data privacy, and it was actually this is. These are ground, you know, guidelines of how we should data share, actually. And it was a very different view on GDPR, which I hadn't sort of appreciated. And you're like, well, actually, yes, you know, it's it's not actually stopping you from doing what you want. It's, it's kind of putting some guidelines in about what you can and can't yeah. do. But it, it, it's funny when, when things like this and regulation changes come out, they're very open to interpretation. Yeah. Um, so some people have taken away from it that it, it, it stopped us doing certain things and there were certain hindrances there for us. Um, but that was, I guess, if we're talking about blips, maybe a little bit of a blip yeah. um, of that people maybe didn't move their counter-fraud solutions forwards during that time as much as they maybe would have in other years. Mm-hmm. And it maybe slowed down the process of them doing certain things like mm-hmm. data sharing. Um, so and like became a bit of a thing, wasn't it? A bit like of everyone a, was scared about it. A bit it of a GDPR then, yeah, panic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, 
so I think if we're talking about blips in the market, that 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 was maybe one of them. Um, from a longer term perspective. I don't think the challenges have changed a huge amount. Mm. Um, I think one of the focuses going forwards is going to be heavily around internal fraud. So speaking to the industry, what I found is a lot of people are finding that fraudsters are regressing slightly. Mm. So we've implemented all this great technology and we're really in control of our online journeys now. We're we're not as out of control as we were 10 years ago. Um, We're in control, we have a lot of data insight. We've done a lot of work about collating our data and making sure that we can spot anomalies and we can spot problems in it. And the fraudsters know this, that they know our industry as well as we do sometimes. So they've identified that actually that's a bit of a barrier for them. So as fraudsters do everywhere else, they go to the path of least resistance. Um, So I've, I've spoken to a lot of insurers who have said that they've now found fraudsters going on the phone. Know old, they go old school now. They'll, right. they'll phone up the contact center and they'll take a claim out via the phone. Um, they are standing outside buildings waiting for internal staff to come up and approaching people on the train who have certain passes on to try and infiltrate a company through their staff. Um, so internal fraud is something that I think will be a great focus of the industry. Don't get me wrong, technology will continue. It, it has to for the online presence. Mm-hmm. But I think internal fraud is a bit of an unmeasured problem right. for a lot of companies. And there needs to be focus there to There's make sure you're protected from the inside. Around, you know, I guess spying on your, your employees in a way as well, because that's, that's the sort of mm-hmm. negative connotation of that as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky message. Mm. Yeah, I understand that. And, but I think if you're employing staff and you're managing expectations early on in the process and your training is appropriate, it's the same for everybody right. in the market and the consequences are clear. Mm. Um, there's a lot of people doing simple things like uh, verifying employee checks, yeah. um, running employee checks on a regular basis rather than just doing it when you're staff. Mm are new to the business. Um, Things change over a lifetime. People's lives are complicated. We forget that they're humans and they have a life outside work. Um, Financial distress situations change. People get divorced. People lose money. People Mm. have gambling problems. People have a lot of financial distress outside of work that you may not know about. Um, And what that does is that that opens up an opportunity. And if there's one thing fraudsters are great at, it's taking advantage of an opportunity where there is one. They will find the staff on social media who work for you, who are in financial distress, who or who demonstrate an opportunity. This this kind of sounds very much like social engineering. I mean, yeah. you know, we we hear about it with the adverts on TV about you know your bank and all the rest of it. But you mentioned ghost broking and, and specifically those people going after targets of the market similarly with this as well they're, they're obviously you know with insiders they're pinpointing particular people that they can take advantage of yeah. it's just social social engineering in a different yeah. guise right yeah and i mean social engineering will it'll forever exist mm-hmm. it comes down to human contact um, there's very little technology that you can implement that, that can help you with social engineering. Yeah. Somebody can do it having a face-to-face conversation like we are now. Mm. It, it's relatively easy to do if you know what you're doing. So it's always going to be a threat factor. Um, the more online we get and the more away from um, human interaction we get, I think that probably reduces mm. the threat there. But you need a human touch. We're always going to have staff. Um, we are only as strong as our weakest link. And, yeah. me- well, very often our weakest link is human error. Mm. be interesting how the rise of the chatbots is going to impact on, on this whole thing as well because yeah. there is things, as you were, were talking about just before we, we started this recording, was, you know, about the 
the human interaction of, of noticing particularly little nuances in people's voices or a stammer or something like that which could give away something to the trained investigators as well so and te- technology is coming through to decipher that there's a lot of um a lot of technology out there looking at voice recognition looking at the different tones mm-hmm. and the hesitancies and trying to understand that sort of from an ai perspective um chatbots are really interesting the ability to transcript a call yeah. and understand and to see very clearly what people have said and to to utilize that within machine learning for example mm-hmm. or ai is incredibly powerful but there's definitely an element of a human touch that helps identify fraud. Mm. Um, I've worked within call centers and one of our strongest links is the human touch. Um, it's it's a conscientious member of staff saying, do you know what, something didn't quite sound right. I could hear, I could just hear someone in the background telling them what to say. It was weird, it didn't sound right, can you look at it? And sometimes just that is the only lead you'll have. You mm. wouldn't have looked at it otherwise, it wouldn't have necessarily come up on a score. Um, it's it's an elderly lady with her son whispering in her ear in the background telling her what to say, mm. who's never claimed before but is exaggerating a claim because he wants some money off the back of it. It's The, the human element is still incredibly important and it, it needs a way to be monitored and dealt with appropriately. So we're kind of saying embrace technology but also you know don't forget there are instances where that technology won't necessarily pick up some of the nuances uh, and that's the way to go forward. Yeah, and uh, training your staff. Mm. I mean, it's it's absolutely key. Um, Continuous training is key for every element of counter-fraud, for your investigators, for your call centre staff, um, and for people who utilise technology. If if the people who are using the technology that you've implemented don't understand it properly and don't understand how to use it, you've got another element of human error there. You're not going to get the value that you should be getting from the technology you've implemented. Well, thank you for for looking at 2018. I'm going to now ask you to look in your crystal ball and kind of give some predictions of what you think are going to be the the key things that we're going to see in in 2019, a couple of predictions perhaps that you can give. Yeah, so (laughs) wow, 2019. I've touched on the internal fraud. I think that's going to be a a big pusher for 2019. Um, There's there's big things happening in the market going forward from insurance. In the motor arena, um, driverless cars, who knows where we're going to be by the end of 2019 with driverless cars. Um, Within the UK specifically, there's um, reforms coming in with regards to how we deal with whiplash, Mm. um, which could be interesting coming into 2019 there. Um, But I think the key and what will be moving forward thoroughly in 2019 is going to be the way customers purchase. I think globally we are very advanced in the UK as to how people purchase policies, but mm. there's there's large insurers and large companies setting up price comparisons. Um, we've got Amazon coming into the space yes. from a price comparison site. Um, it's driving the journey and it's making the journey incredibly quick. People don't expect to buy insurance in a matter of minutes and wait 10 days for their claim to be dealt with. Mm. There is an expectation from customers that insurance will move incredibly quickly. So we have to move that quickly from a technology perspective. We, um, f- uh, From an insurer's perspective, they're going to want technology that doesn't slow down that customer journey. It's unacceptable in a counter-fraud team to go to a marketing team and say, you have to slow your customer journey, journey down so we have more time to look at these customers from a risk perspective. That's quite frankly unacceptable. The the insurers are in it to make a profit and get customers on the books and get them covered on a policy. Um, So going forwards, there's gonna be a heavy amount of focus 
on how we streamline a customer journey, but maintaining very, very good um, risk identification um, and split out those good people from those bad people mm. as quickly as possible as to not impact the customer. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Kate, thank for, you. for joining us today. Brilliant. It's been really um, insightful for me as well, just to kind of get your background and and your view on, on what's happened in 2018, I should say. Um, so thanks everyone for, for listening to the uh, Intelligence Download today. Don't forget you can continue to sign up to future um, podcasts on um, iTunes or Podbean. So thanks very much and until next time. Thank you.